It's 1981, and TSR, the publishers of Dungeons & Dragons, are set to publish their first module designed by a female designer. But when the 5,000-plus copies of the module reached their offices, they would be recalled immediately. The new module was taken to a Lake Geneva, Wisconsin landfill and buried amongst the trash. What taboos lay within the pages of this book? What could cause such outrage from the publisher? Let's explore the mystery of the Palace of the Silver Princess on the Old Men Rolling Dice Podcast. Dice is brought to you by CanadianDice.ca. Don't forget to use the OMRD code at checkout for a 10% discount off your entire order. Hey, this is DM Jeremy. Old Men Rolling Dice is a Dungeons & Dragons podcast where we talk about old school D&D. We like to say everyone is welcome at our table and nostalgia is what we do. In 1981, TSR released Basic Dungeons & Dragons and it was authored by Tom Moldvay. This simpler rule set and youth-friendly version of the game would be the entry point for so many of today's fans, including myself. There are many classic modules written for the basic rule set. Things like B1, Search for the Unknown, B2, Keep on the Borderlands, and B4, The Lost City. But none has a more mysterious origin story than B3, Palace of the Silver Princess, in 1981. Jean Wells was the first woman designer at TSR. The game was growing incredibly fast and trying to reach all demographics. Palace of the Silver Princess would be important as one of the earliest modules written by a woman in the industry, not just TSR. So why did this module get recalled? What we know is that somewhere between five and 10,000 copies reached the offices of TSR in Lake Geneva, Wisconsin. The original module had an orange cover, and when it arrived at the offices, it was distributed to the staff. And that evening, someone in senior management took offense to what lay within the pages of Gene Wells' book. They ordered all the copies sent to the stores that day to be recalled, and someone went cubicle to cubicle that night, collecting all the copies that had been given to the staff. Everything was then sent to the local landfill to be forgotten amongst the piles of trash there. Now, most of this is rumor, and the company never really gave an official explanation. Most of the information comes from TSR employees who years afterwards would recall these tales, and they would tell them at conventions and events. The knee-jerk reaction is to accuse TSR of being misogynistic in some way. You know, that Jean Wells had failed to impress the men at TSR, and her work would be buried. Literally. However, it seems that the objection to the module came from the illustrations within. The first illustration that we'll talk about is on page 10 of the module, and it's titled The Illusion of the Decapus. The image depicts a woman hanging from her from the ceiling by her own hair. Her long locks were also used to bind her arms and legs. But that's not where it ends. 
There's also nine men that are surrounding her, and they seem to be tormenting her with weapons. Uh, nothing to feel uncomfortable about here, right? No kidding. Uh, are you picking up on the bondage vibe? I'm not kink shaming, but basic Dungeons and Dragons was being pitched to a younger audience, and I'm not sure that this really finds the mark. The second illustration appears on page 19 and depicted a family of yubus. That's U-B-U-E-S. What's a yubu, you ask? Well, it's a creature that possesses three heads, three arms, and three legs. Its heads are both male and female, with its gender being decided by the third head. So yubus are two parts male and one part female, or vice versa. But wait, there's more. The heads of the yubus were said to be caricatures of the staff at TSR. There were a lot of inside jokes hidden in their portrayal in the image. So it's possible that these hermaphroditic creatures resembled the staff and just went too far. I really think it had something to do with the times. During the 80s, the satanic panic was taking hold, and during the early 80s is when it was starting to pick up some steam. Some parents feared that D&D was a kind of gateway drug to Satan. Maybe TSR just decided the images were flirting with the danger and didn't want to take the risk of more heat about their product. Eventually, TSR was sold to Wizards of the Coast, and Wizards would release a copy of Wells' version on PDF. Upon reading through the PDF, I can tell you that the original is not an easy read, and it kind of lacks any kind of story hook. I think it's imaginative, but it's a little sloppy, and at some points it just gets a little silly. I think it needed to be heavily edited to tie the product together and make it more focused. Which brings about another rumor. The staff from the TSR days of Dungeons & Dragons implied that they had been instructed not to mess with Gene Wells' writing. She was a good friend of Gary Gygax, the creator of D&D, and there had been discussions with the editing staff that Gene's work was not to be messed with. Whatever the case, B3 Palace of the Silver Princess was sent to be rewritten by Tom Moldvay, who authored The Basic Rules. His rewrite was rushed, but it was not long before a green-covered version of the module returned to TSR and was then released to the masses. There's nothing better than a new release. I love getting new D&D stuff for my ever-growing collection, regardless of my wife's concerns. Help me defy my wife and continue to grow my collection. Head over to CanadianDice.ca and use the code OMRD for Old Men Rolling Dice. And get a 10% discount on your order and, you know, get that opportunity to have a new release in your collection. So Moldvay's revision of Gene Wells' Palace of the Silver Princess really changed the adventure. Wells had included an overland map of the surrounding area. She left a lot of room for a dungeon master's imagination. In fact, there are keyed locations in the original that are just blank spaces in the book for an aspiring dungeon master to write into and add their own encounters. TSR had done this before with a preceding book, B1, Search for the Unknown. Wells had designed a sandbox for the players to wander around in and explore. The palace itself was just a location on the overland map to be explored. There was no story or 
or hook to draw the players to that location. In Moldvay's version, though, he cut all the surrounding locations and focused simply on the palace itself. He added a fairy tale like story with a princess who needed saving and a villain out to corrupt the world. All the fat of the original had been trimmed and all keyed areas had descriptions now. There were no blank spaces for dungeon masters to add their own uh, imagination to. The book has a much cleaner layout and it's easier to follow. And the two pieces of art previously mentioned had been removed. This adventure under Moldvay's vision was not a sandbox. It was a linear story arc. So if I was going to run Palace of the Silver Princess today, how would I do it? I kind of like the fairy tale that Moldvay constructed. I think I'd keep that element and maybe even play it up a little bit. In some of the lore that Moldvay added, he mentions a magical land called Fairy. For modern players of D&D, I think that you could substitute this for the Feywild. And who doesn't like a Feywild adventure? Having access to Wells' original, I would use her notes to develop the surrounding lands again. This would help place my fairy tale in a larger world. Wells also had created a helpful non-player character called the Tinker, and he travels the countryside with his daughter, and they live in a sort of mobile shop pulled by oxen, and Wells suggests a number of different ways to use him uh, interacting with the player characters. Moldvay also added a pair of thieves named Candela and Duchess. And I've spoken to a few other DMs who have run this module, and these women are always a fan favorite of the party. The pair have their own goals at heart, and the Dungeon Master can use the two for comedic relief. The end goal in Moldvay's version is to destroy a magical gem. And the nice thing about this tale is that there are many ways to accomplish this end task. Uh, so you can allow your players to find their own path to victory, and I really like that. Palace of the Silver Princess is by no means a perfect module. If you were to DM it for your friends, no matter which version of the rules you use, you would need to do a little bit of work to make this run smoothly. It has a fascinating history though, and before I leave you, I should mention that several original orange covers were not destroyed at the landfill. You see, some of the staff took their copies home that night and therefore avoided the cubicle-to-cubicle -cubicle collection for the recall. These remaining copies are D&D history, and they have become very valuable. Most recently, an orange copy that was signed by Wells herself sold for more than $5,000 at auction. I have a sizable Dungeons & Dragons collection myself, but alas, my copy of The Silver Princess has a green cover. Thanks for joining us. I invite you to hit the follow button so you don't miss any other episodes of Old Men Rolling Dice. See you next time. Old Men Rolling Dice is brought to you by CanadianDice.ca. Hundreds of stunning dice sets in every color imaginable and all the extra accessories for all your tabletop role-playing needs. Be sure to check out their limited edition Sharp Edge Dice so you can wow your friends at the table. And don't forget to use the OMRD code at checkout for a 10% discount off your entire order. Visit CanadianDice.ca today.